I want to share something that's on my heart. Um, I know every year we hear the same story, and, uh, but there is a lot of truth in the story that is applicable to your life if you allow it to be. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are with us today. I pray that everything that's said and everything that's done, Lord, would bring you the glory. And we will not fail to praise you. We will not fail to give you all the honor and um, uh, all the honor today. Open our ears and hearts that we would only hear from you. And everyone said amen. Um, I said this a few weeks ago, but I think it's, I want to say it again because it's such a powerful statement. Um, N.T. Wright, which is a New Testament scholar, uh, was telling about an experience where he was preaching somewhere. And as he was preaching after the service, he was actually preaching a Christmas service. And after the Christmas service, a man came up to him and said, um, he said, you know, I finally figured out why people love Christmas so much. Uh, he said, the reason that people love Christmas so much is because a baby threatens no one. A baby threatens no one. So the whole thing is a happy event, which means nothing at all. Now, you and I know as Christians that uh, the story of Christianity begins as a baby. He begins as a baby, but that's not the rest of the story, right? And uh, we're going to look at this story this morning and find out how a baby really does threaten even the world's kingdoms. If you look at the Bible, just for a few moments, especially there are two stories that record the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 2 is one of them, and Luke chapter 2 is the other story. So two narratives that explain the account of Jesus' birth. And you know, they're very similar in nature. There's some different details, but very similar. You have angels coming to sing at his birth. You have the same characters, Mary, Joseph, the Christ child. You have the shepherds in both of the stories. You have the glory of God in both of the stories. Both stories tell us that the shepherds ran with haste uh, to find the Christ child. Both stories have uh, the... Uh, the uh, wise men coming from afar. And so both stories are similar. Uh, they're different in some aspects. One of the things that I found out that is really, really different is one of the stories focuses on Matthew chapter 2 really takes some time and focuses on a man by the name of King Herod. Everyone say King Herod. Everybody shout King Herod. And in Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1, and you can read on through the whole story. For the sake of time, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to look at just a few scriptures here. You'll see a, a man in the story by the name of King Herod who really had a problem with this child. And this baby really did threaten his kingdom. This baby really did threaten everything that King Herod was used to. And so uh, as you read this story, you'll find that in the, the story, this is not a postcard story. This is not just a, a little happy story. This has some gory detail in it. Jesus was really a threat. He was a threat to the political kingdom or to the political system. He was a threat to the religious system. Uh, this was not a postcard story. And Herod had a lot to do with that. You know, as I was growing up, we used to sing that old Christmas carol that occasionally we sing today. It's called The Little Town of Bethlehem. How still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hope and the fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. You see, Bethlehem starts the Christmas story. 
and it's just a little quaint town. And, uh, but actually, when you begin to read the story, Herod was so threatened by this little child born in the little town of Bethlehem that he began to become so threatened by it that the Bible says that he sent out a decree that all babies should be murdered under the age of two years old. This story is not a happy postcard story. This is not a story that, you know, we look at it today and we're like, oh, this is such a cute story. But Herod felt very threatened about this little baby born in the town of Bethlehem. You know what I believe that the story of Christmas demonstrates to you and I today? It demonstrates to us today that God's redemptive work always defiles the Herods of the world. Not just the kings and presidents, but it defiles the Herods of the world. And I believe that each of us, if we would do spiritual inventory of our life, we all have a Herod in our life. And Jesus has the potential to threaten the Herods in our life. I want you to look at your own life this, story, uh, this morning. We all are trying to build our own kingdom, aren't we? All trying to build our own kingdom. We want to be the Herod of our own kingdoms. And the Christmas story teaches us that if Jesus is really involved in your life, Jesus will threaten the kingdom of your life and Jesus will threaten the Herods of your life. What is the Herods of your life? What is the kingdom that you have tried to build in your life? Some of us have built our own kingdom of money and pleasure and self-gratification and employment. You, you name it, the world is chasing after it. And if we're not careful, we can fall in that trap as well where we spend all of our life building our own kingdom, building our own glory, and yet when Jesus gets involved in our life, Jesus will threaten the Herods of our life. If you know anything about King Herod, King Herod is the villain of the Christmas story. And history tells us that King Herod was a very barbaric man. He was very ambitious about building his kingdom. History tells us that King Herod was responsible for rebuilding or restoring, should I say, the temple there in Jerusalem. He was very educated. He was very smart. But yet, history and Scripture gives us the indication that Herod was very self-absorbed. He was very self-centered. He was a narcissist. He was very egotistical. He was very barbaric. His desire for power and glory was very evident. He, he even murdered, history tells us, he murdered his own mother-in-law. He murdered his own wife. And he murdered two of his sons. You see, this man was the villain of the Christmas story. He didn't want anybody sitting on his throne, and he certainly didn't want to feel threatened. And the moment that King Herod felt like he was being threatened, he would do away with those folks. So he did away with his two sons. He'd done away with his wife, because he thought his wife may have been plotting against him. So in order to secure his kingdom, Herod just done away with her. He'd done away with his own mother-in-law. This was a self-absorbed man. This man is the villain. This man was full of himself. He, he didn't want anybody thinking that they could take his kingdom. And the moment that he felt threatened is the moment that he done away with everyone that had the potential to, do a, to, to sit on his throne. What was his problem? He feared that somebody else would sit on his throne. And ladies and gentlemen... 
we don't necessarily have a Herod today in the world. We don't have a... But spiritually, in our own lives, we are like Herod at times. We, we build our own kingdoms. Sometimes we become so self-absorbed. Sometimes we make it all about ourselves sometimes. Sometimes we're like Herod and we, we spend our whole life building a kingdom unto ourselves. And you know what's so sad about it? Herod didn't even know he was so self-absorbed. And sometimes we don't know how self-absorbed we have become. We don't know sometimes that we have built our own kingdoms. We have erected kingdoms for our glory. We have erected kingdoms for our pleasure. We have erected kingdoms in our life for our betterment, just like Herod. And what makes Christianity, what makes Christianity full of tension sometimes is because there's this tension in our life. I want to do my way. I want to do it the way I want it, how I want it, where I want it. And yet God says, I want it done this way. Oh, I, I, I can't give too much time to the church because that's too much. You know, we all have to have family time. Christmas ain't about family time, folks. I hate to bust your bubble. Family time is a byproduct of Christmas. It's not Christmas. We love our families, but Jesus said you've got to love him more than you even love your family. I'm preaching real good right there. It, it, see, you see how, see how we erect our kingdoms to ourselves. You see how we become so self-absorbed? You see how we chase after the mighty dollar? And we chase after the things we think is going to benefit us and build our kingdom? Oh, family time's wonderful. I'm not knocking it. I love time. I love to have great family time with friends and family. But that's not the essence of Christmas. The essence of Christmas is acknowledging that Christ is the center of our lives. And when you really put Jesus, when you really put Jesus, listen to Pastor Josh, when you really get serious about Jesus, and you put Jesus as the center of your life, I promise you, He will threaten all the Herods of your life, and He will threaten the kingdom that you have built all your life. He will threaten it. And there will become a holy tension in your life. And all throughout your life, there's going to be this tension. I want to do my way. I want to do it my will. I want to say what I want to do. I want to, this is, this is what I want. And yet God says, I want you to do it this way. And sometimes doing it God's way is uncomfortable. Sometimes doing it God's way is sacrifice. Sometimes doing it God's way demands that you come up with another notch. When you get serious about Jesus, He will threaten the kingdoms of your life. You have to come to a place in your life where you have to make a decision. Is it all Jesus? Or am I going to straggle the fence and maybe give homage to this baby 
and give homage to what I want to be, what I want done. That's why, especially in Christianity now, we, we like to hear flowery sermons and short sermons and short church services. We don't want to feel pressured to give any more than we have to give. We don't want to be pressured to worship any more we have to worship. We don't want to feel as though the, our spiritual leader is pushing us to grow a little. We, we don't want to feel uncomfortable because we, we love... We love sitting on the throne of our own heart. Jesus is saying, when I get involved in your life, it's either Herod or it's either me. You can't have Herod sitting on your throne and you can have me sitting on your throne. You've got to make up your mind. Either you're going to have Jesus on the throne of your life and let him erect a kingdom that brings glory to God or you're going to work all your life erecting a kingdom that brings glory to yourself. And in the end, if you build a kingdom unto yourself, you will die just like Herod died. Because anything that's birthed out of pride and arrogance and self-will it always leads to death. There's a way that seems right unto man. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is destruction. Jesus demands total obedience. Jesus demands total sacrifice. Jesus demands all of your heart, not just a little bit, now, I'll just give him a little bit on Sunday to appease him. And then maybe I'll say a few prayers on my way to work. But never cultivate a relationship with God Almighty. If you don't have a demo devotional life, you'll end up with an emotional life. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And the moment that Herod heard that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he told those three wise men who came to visit him. He said, I want you, when you find the place that the scriptures has indicated, where this baby is to born, be born, come and let me know so I may worship him too. Did you understand that, church? You see, because people who erect kingdoms unto their self... They don't have a problem in worshiping just as long as they can worship what they want to worship. Oh, they don't have a problem with worship as long as the music's what they want. As long as the preacher is who they want. Oh, I, I don't like that preacher, so I'm not going to come to church. You see how, you see how we've erected a kingdom unto ourselves? Just like Herod. Herod had no problem in worshiping as long as it was on his terms. Sometimes I believe we worship worship. Worship music. Worship lights. Worship the building. 
People are so fickle. Boy, I went to church, it was so good. Boy, I mean, the lights was everywhere. Well, they do that at a concert. Ain't nothing wrong with it. But let's come down a little bit and get a little, let's not be so superficial here. Let's have a little depth about us. It's not about lights. It's not about carpet or seats. It's not about the music. It's about you being transformed into a person that brings glory to God. That's what it's about. It's what it's about. Am I being transformed? There's a difference between information and transformation. There's a difference between hearing and applying it to my life. There's a difference between giving mental assent and giving heart assent. There's a difference between intellectual knowledge and experiential. You see, when Jesus Jesus threatens the Herods of the world. You know, the Bible says, you know why Jesus threatens the, the Herods of the world? Because those wise men, when they were searching the ancient scriptures, and they saw a star in the east, and they started following the star, and they studied the scriptures where this baby should be born, they were studying the Hebrew scriptures. And they knew that this baby was more than just a man. This baby was to be a king. There was something special about this baby. And the Hebrew scriptures, and it'll be behind me, it says in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, a prophet a th couple thousand years before the birth of Jesus prophesied that there would be a baby that would be born of a virgin. And that this baby, there was going to be a series of names listed to this baby. The prophet said that this baby was going to be wonderful and he was going to be counselor. He was going to be a mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. But then he said, this baby, the government, shall be upon his shoulders. You see, Herod is supposedly the king of the Jews, he knew the Hebrew Scriptures. He knew that this baby was going to threaten his kingdom because the government was going to be upon his shoulders and the government wasn't going to be upon King Herod's. It was going to be upon this baby's shoulders. Anytime Jesus, anytime we feel as though Jesus threatens us, We try our very best to build walls up, erect bigger kingdoms. Anytime we feel threatened. And that's exactly what Herod did. He was a master builder. He built it for his kingdom. When I went to Israel, I went to Herod's palace. We went up to one of his palaces. It was on this high mountain. We ascended to this mountain and we walked in Herod's palace and you should have saw the floors, the marble floors that King Herod had. It was outstanding. Something that was breathtaking. And I remember the tour guide telling us that King Herod would set in this, it was, was kind of like a, a porch. He would sit on this porch 
and overlook his kingdom. Overlook his kingdom. It makes sense for an egotistical, self-centered man to sit on his porch and overlook his kingdom while those poor men and women were erecting buildings for the glory of Herod. But Christmas teaches us that Jesus, when he gets involved, really gets involved in your life, he will threaten everything you've ever known. He threatens everything you've ever known. This is a serious, this is serious when you become a believer. It's not just giving mental assent to the Christmas story and reading the Christmas story. Say, boy, that's, that's a nice story. And I think on Christmas Day I'm going to read it to my kids and we're going to have family time and, and then we go. And that's all good and fine. Praise God for it. But what about the things in your life that's been there for years and you were struggling with it last Christmas? You have the same issues you had last year this time. You're wrestling with the same people you wrestled with last year. You're still mad at the same people you were mad at last year. Where do we come to a place in our life that Jesus really threatens the kingdoms of our life and we allow Him in to transform us, to mold us, to make us, and to shape us. My mind, my thoughts, my words, my actions, my behaviors, it is all given to Christ. So what is, what is the Christmas story about? It's about... Jesus threatening the kingdoms of your life. You know what's absurd about this whole story? This is what's absurd. Y'all want to know what's absurd about the whole story? What's absurd about the whole story is that Herod spent years desperately trying to hold on to a kingdom that really wasn't his in the first place. That's what's absurd about the story. He tried to hold on to a kingdom that really wasn't his in the beginning. And can I just say to you, everything you have in your life, it's really not yours anyway. I'm going to say that again. Everything you're trying to hold on to and desperately build, it's not yours anyway. It's just a gift. That means your children that we hold on so tightly, they're not yours. It's a gift. Your relationships is a gift. Your job is a gift. Your resources is a gift. You're just a steward. You owe nothing. And Herod spent years trying to build his own kingdom, and what's so absurd about it, it didn't belong to him anyway, and in the end, he lost it. He lost it. He lost it. And this Christmas season, I pray that our perspective about 
the Christmas story doesn't just, we just don't give mental assent, but that it goes from the head to the heart and that we allow Jesus to tear the kingdoms of our life down. That everything that we have erected, it becomes submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. That we submitted all to His Lordship. Everything I have belongs to you, and it is a gift, and I'm going to treat it as a gift. How many would agree with Pastor Josh? You want Jesus to take center place in your heart. You want Him to sit on the throne of your life. You want Him to demolish the kingdoms of your life, the kingdoms of your mind and your heart, those attitudes, whatever it may be that we have built over the years. Maybe it's the kingdom of unforgiveness, the kingdom of selfishness, the king, whatever it may be. Let Jesus come in and let Him destroy the kingdoms of Herod and put Jesus back on the throne of your heart. Put Jesus back on the throne of your life and let Jesus be number one. Can I hear an amen? How many would say, Pastor, I want Jesus number one in my heart, in my life? going to be like King Josiah in the Old Testament. The Bible says that King Josiah went and tore down the pagan altars of Baal. Get infused by the Spirit of God and tear down everything in your life that's erected itself against the knowledge of God. Put God back. And you know what? What's sad about the Christmas story is that Herod, he didn't know. He was so blinded all those years. It just, it didn't dawn on him that maybe he, maybe this kingdom didn't belong to him. Maybe it wasn't his in the first place. What I read, it, it never really dawned on him. And what's really sad is that we can live our whole lives accusing everybody, pointing our finger at everybody, mad at everybody, when all at the same time, all the Lord is trying to do is trying to tear down the kingdoms of your life and we resist the working of the Holy Spirit. And we spend our whole life thinking it's somebody else, when in reality, Jesus is trying to tear down the kingdoms of your life. So, not everything bad that happens to you, maybe it's not from the devil. Maybe the people that get on your nerves, maybe it's not the devil. Maybe God has sended people in your life to tear down some kingdoms. Maybe God is putting you in situations so that He could perfect your character. Maybe God is 
putting you in places and situations so He can deal with those things in your life. And that's why the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4, don't resist the Spirit. Don't resist it. Now, in closing, this is an odd Christmas message to preach, isn't it? Very odd. But one of the things I know as a pastor is that sometimes, you know, when I read the Christmas story myself, I mean, I got a hundred sermons from the Christmas story. But this week, this particular story just really resonated in me as a person. As just, not as a pastor, just as just a regular person with no titles behind my name. It just resonated with me because I, uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cry. But I want to serve Jesus, and I know you do too, so much that you don't want anything to come in the way of what God wants to do in your life because you don't want to miss an opportunity of what God wants to do. And sometimes you got to do self-evaluation of those Herods. You don't have to do it every day. But once in a while, you just got to do self-evaluation of the Herods in your life and make sure that Jesus is number one always and central in your life. Amen. If, listen, look at pastor. If your God agrees with you all the time, then you are probably worshiping a self. You're probably worshiping yourself. If you agree with your God all the time, and your God always makes you happy, and your God never challenges you to become better, and your God never challenges your attitude, never challenges your behavior, never challenges the way you treat people, never challenges how you spend your money, never challenges, never challenges you to grow, then maybe you are worshiping yourself. Do you all still love me on this Christmas morning? Is this all right? And I'm only preaching to you because I love you, really. And you know what? what's really interesting? I'm preaching this to you because I've already preached it to myself. I've already preached it to me on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So I've preached it to myself six days, so guess what? I'm preaching it to you because I've already preached it to myself. And I want to be everything that Jesus wants me to be. I want Jesus to be number one. I want Him to be number one in my thoughts, my heart, my behavior, my resources. I want Him to take center. And if He, has a, if he wants to knock down the kingdoms of this world, it might hurt a little bit, but I, it's all about Him anyway, isn't it? It's all about Him anyway. So today, I'm asking you, would you do something? Do something for me. When you leave this church and you go celebrate Christmas this week, and again, it's wonderful, wonderful to be with family and friends. We should do that. Hug them and love on them and read the Christmas story. But as you read it this week, ask the Holy Spirit, 
is there something that you're challenging me to do? Is there something in my life you're challenging me so that I can be the person that God has called me to be? Would you do that? And I promise you, if you do that, the Lord will stretch you. (laughs) He will push you. He will challenge you. But I promise you, growth will always be the outcome. Can I hear an amen? You see, I've made a a decision a long time ago. I refuse to just go through life. I'm going to grow through life. I know I didn't do things right last week, but that's okay. I'm going to grow through it. I know my attitude wasn't right. That's all right. Tomorrow it's going to even be better because I'm growing. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm going to grow because I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work in my life. I'm growing through it. I'm not stopping. I'm not going to lay down. I'm not going to get discouraged. I am going to grow through it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? I'm going to grow through it. And when you have that mindset that you're growing through it, it's so much better than a fixed mindset. A fixed mindset says, I've messed up. It's no good. I'm never going to mount anything. My mind's fixed. But a growing mindset says, I know I didn't, didn't make the cut. I know I did things I shouldn't have done, but I'm going to continue to go forward. I'm going to grow. I'm going to press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling. I'm not at the prize yet, but I'm going to hit a mark. And I'm going to hit another mark. And I'm going to hit another mark. I'm going to hit the mark of the prize of the high calling. And sometimes we get so discouraged because we're always trying to get to the prize. But Paul said, I press towards the mark of the prize. There's many marks to get you to the prize. Don't get discouraged. Keep pressing forward. Pick yourself up and go forward. Amen. You know, my last point. You know, Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. Uh, Right after the ascension of Christ... Rome actually destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. You know, Jesus prophesied to his disciples, not one stone will be left upon another. Jesus prophesied it. So Rome destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple in 70 A.D. I'm sure you know that in history. And you know, Rome was the superpower of the world. You know, Paul preached in Rome. Peter preached in Rome. And uh, Rome was this superpower of the world. They conquered Jerusalem and You know, Christianity has its roots in Rome as well. And uh, after Jesus ascended to the Father, you know, Paul wrote the book of Romans from Rome. A lot of ministry was done from Rome. It was very pagan. Very, they worshipped their pagan gods. Even the names of our, the names of the days of the week is named after pagan gods. Did you know that? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They're named after pagan gods. And some of that comes from Roman mythology. You know what's really interesting was that after Jesus ascended to the Father and the disciples are preaching and some of them are preaching in Rome, and I'm just giving you a little history lesson here. What's really interesting is that in the history books tells us in the 1st, 2nd, 3rd century, 
you know, Rome persecuted Christians. You know, Nero persecuted Christians in 60 AD, cut their heads off, lit his garden up at night. They threw Christians in the lion's den. Christians were martyred by the thousands. They threw them in coliseums. Lions tore their bodies apart. It was horrible. In 313, about 300 years after Jesus, Rome signed a, or Constantine signed a decree called the Edict of Milan, and it legalized Christianity in Rome. So Christianity in Rome became this official religion. They started building cathedrals. Clergy wore robes. I mean, it was this pop and circumstance. I mean, it was a big deal. Christianity was the official religion of Rome. But there was a problem. After Christianity was legalized in Rome, that didn't mean that all the pagan festivals and pagan holidays were done away with. As a matter of fact, Rome had celebrated paganism for years and worshipped their false gods. Even in the first, second, and third century, Christians were persecuted because they didn't worship the pagan gods. And one of the pagan gods that they worshipped was called the sun god. Now he has many different names, but I'm just making this very simple. They worship the sun god. That's where you get sun day. They worship the sun god. And they had a big festival in December. Around December 25th, Rome would throw a big, big party to worship the sun god. And you know the reason why they did that, Randy? They did that was because they believed that the winter solstice, which was a time where there was the shortest day of the year, and it, the days were starting to get longer after that. They had a big festival, a celebration on December the 25th in celebration of the winter solstice, and they believed that the days would get longer after that. In other words, they believed that light is going to triumph over darkness because the days are getting longer and darkness is getting shorter. I don't know about you, but I hope that you see the spiritual implication of that. Rome was worshiping the sun god during the winter solstice, which they believed that the sun is triumphing over darkness because the days are going to get longer after December 21st. Can I hear an amen? So the Christians didn't want to participate in their pagan rituals. But from the second century, Christians have always honored the nativity. And so the early church said, why don't we just have a church service on December 25th and honor Christ? And so they called it Christmas. Mass means Thanksgiving. Christmas, the Thanksgiving of Christ. So they started worshiping on December the 25th as Christmas to honor Christ and His birth as the pagans were worshiping their sun god and they believed the sun was triumphing over darkness. But the Christians said, we're going to teach our people that the Son of God is the true Son and He is the one that's going to triumph over... Somebody shout Amen! Somebody shout amen. The Son of God is going to triumph over darkness. You see, that's what Christmas is about. There's more sun than there's light. 
So if somebody says Christmas is pagan, tell them they don't know their history. It has its pagan roots. But Christians were smart enough to know the implication that Jesus is the true Son, and He triumphs over darkness. Because even the, even the Scripture says, Matthew 4, 16, you know, Jesus, the Bible says in Matthew 4, 16, when Jesus was in Nazareth, you see the Scripture that He was fulfilled in Matthew 4.16, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. That's what Christmas is about. The people who sit in darkness have seen a great light.